morning. Awesome, awesome. Welcome to everybody. Glad you guys are here. But why are you here? That is the question, isn't it? I mean, it's a glorious day outside. Certainly there's something else you could find to do, right? Golf course awaits, the beach, something, right? Why in the world are you in this playhouse with all these other people on this day? Isn't that amazing to think that on this day, billions of people all over the world are gathered together with the common purpose of celebrating an event that happened almost 2,000 years ago. It's still making an impact today. It's really amazing, isn't it? That this event that happened so long ago could still be making an impact in our lives today. This was a monumental... In fact, I believe that the event that we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus, is without a doubt the most significant event in human history. I believe that to be true. There's nothing else that has ever occurred in the history of mankind that's of more significance than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, you've got to admit that. I mean, if he, if he really did come back from the dead, and I believe that he did, you've got you to gotta pause for a second and go, okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing that someone could actually do that. I know we get a little tainted because we've seen so many TV shows where somebody does that, but that doesn't happen. And not only did he come back from the dead, but he never died again. I know everybody has those out-of-body experiences, and they see the light, and they, they walk towards the light, they walk away from the light, and they have all these th- stories to tell, and I understand all that. But eventually, they go to the grave again at some point. But he never did. An amazing, amazing thing, this resurrection. And this, it wasn't an event that was done in secret. I mean, there are over 15 recorded historical references to the resurrected Jesus. He talked with people. He met with people. He fixed breakfast for a group of guys. He was seen of 500 plus people at one time and he talked with them. This wasn't something that was done in secret. This was something that was openly manifest in Jerusalem and then ultimately throughout the entire Roman Empire until today. Here we sit 2,000 years later celebrating this very event. What does it mean? I mean, it's pretty cool. But what difference does it make to my life? The fact that this guy named Jesus came back from the dead. That's what I want to examine today. That's what I want to look at this morning. Is to see what difference does it make that this man, this Jewish man that lived so long ago, came back to life after being dead for three days. And I want to look at a story in John chapter 13 to talk about. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to John 13. If not, we're going to put it right up on the screen for you. I had one of those moments this week. I've been, obviously, Easter is a fairly important day in the uh, pastoral uh, realm of operations. (laughs) It's one of those dates on my calendar that's circled, you know, that's important. And so I'd been thinking about what am I going to say on Easter Sunday this year? For some time, and I'd had my plan all down, had my sermon outline done. And uh, many of you during this Lenten period have been reading through the Gospels with us. And so I got up during this week and I was reading this portion of Scripture in John 13. And I came across this story, which is a familiar story to me. And I just went, oh, wow, that's really good. That's a great story. 
But I just went ahead with my plans, you know. I had my outline already. No sense in changing. So I went to my office, wrote my sermon, got it done and went, ugh, this isn't any good. And so I started over. And here we are in John chapter 13 with what I hope will be a blessing. In John 13, let's read the whole passage. Then we'll come back and we'll look at a few particular things in this passage. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Um, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean in every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we pause this morning just once again to give you thanks for your eternal life. To rejoice in what you've done for us. To rejoice in the fact that so long ago, you rose from the dead. Lord, we know that you're alive today. We know that you're seated at the hand of your Father. And I ask this morning that you would just bless this time, that you would pour out your Spirit upon this place and minister to us as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go back through this passage. And let's look at a few things that I think help us to understand why the resurrection has such significance. Let's start in verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, you may be sitting here this morning going, what in the world does this have to do with the resurrection? It's a story about a guy washing a bunch of other guys' feet. <laughs> what could this possibly have to do with Jesus and his resurrection? I want you to, I'm going to point something out to you. Look in verse 3 where he says, Jesus understood this, that he was come from God and went to God. We have this misconception about Jesus, and here it is. We believe that Jesus began in Bethlehem when he was born in the little manger. We think, well, that's where he started. But what we have to understand is that Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been around. There was a point in time when he was seated at his father's right hand. 
He was in glory, in perfect fellowship with his Father. And he made a choice to get up and be born of a woman and come to earth. So when Jesus is, is sitting at dinner and it says in the narrative, he understood that he came from God and he was going to go back to God. And then he rises up from dinner and he takes off his garment, whatever he's wearing, and he puts on a towel and it says he girded. In other words, he tied it around his waist. He tied it around his loins. I think that that is representative of that time. Some point in the, in the past when Jesus stood up in heaven and made a decision to put on flesh and be born of a woman and come to earth and die for the sins of mankind. What a decision. He didn't have to do that. There was no obligation on his part to do that. There was no responsibility that he had to do that. He simply looked at our need. He saw the problem that mankind had. And he said to his father, I will go and help them through this situation. I'll provide a way for them to have eternal life. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says this. Speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is our Savior. Being equal with God. And yet he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a man and made himself obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Two times this week I had people talk with me about this new TV series called Undercover Boss. Anybody know this show? I think it's on Sunday nights, yeah? Undercover Boss. What the, the premise of this show is CEOs of these huge corporations... Uh, they disguise themselves in some way, and then they go and they work the lowest jobs within their organizations in order to get a better feel for what their employees are experiencing, what the work conditions are, and all of these things. And so you have these, you know, seven, eight-figure salary guys, uh, you know, down doing Roto-Rooter or doing some, you know, doing some of the, you know, the menial task, if you will, of their companies. And, and both of these individuals came to me and said, you know what? Jesus was the original undercover boss. He came here, took on the form of a man, and because of that, he can relate better to what we experience. It says he, the Bible says he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. The Bible also says that we have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he understands. He gets it. Jesus isn't this stained glass God that, that never experienced what you and I go through. He gets it. He understands it. He went through it. But you know what? He wasn't really undercover. Because he wasn't all that secretive about who he was. He told people, I'm God in the flesh. Now, they didn't like that. But that was the reality. He came to help us with our need. He saw our need, and he took action to help us overcome it. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. After that, 
he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. So I want you to picture this. Gets up from dinner. He takes off his robe, his garment, ties this towel around his waist. The disciples are there. They're lined up, all 12 of them. And then one by one, he starts to make his way down the line, washing their feet. Now, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm assuming most of you probably showered before you came here this morning. Yeah, probably so. I would have a real problem lining you guys up and going down the row. Even your feet are, I'm sure, pretty clean for the most part. Most of you have enclosed shoes on, which may not be a great thing, but at least it's keeping the dirt off. And I would have issue washing your feet. What a humbling thing, right? I mean, feet are gross. They really are. But you, can you imagine these guys? They didn't have closed shoes. Their sidewalks weren't paved. They'd been trudging around out in the countryside, probably for days. They didn't get up every morning and take a shower. And here's Jesus going one by one down the line, taking the dirt, get it? Taking the dirt that's on them and putting it where? On himself. And the farther down the line he got, the dirtier he got. They're clean. He's becoming dirty. He's taking the dirt that's on them and placing it upon himself. Don't miss that. Because that dirt is representative of the problem, the issue that all humanity has, and that is the sin problem. We've all sinned. We all need cleansing. And Jesus provides that cleansing. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says this about Jesus. Who? His own self bear our sins in His body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus takes our guilt. Jesus bore our guilt Upon himself. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, you don't have to carry it around anymore with you. I mean, some of you got ready for church this morning and you, you, you showered, you put on your makeup or you combed your hair or you did whatever. You got dressed in your Sunday best for Easter. And then as you were walking out the door, you picked up your bag of guilt and walked out with you. And you just carry that thing around all the time. Guilty over what you've done in the past. And what we have to understand is Jesus paid for that. Jesus took that upon himself. You may notice the, the little cross over here to, the, to my right with the little red pieces of paper nailed to it. That's something we did Friday night on Good Friday service where we, as a body, took things that we knew we needed to confess to our Savior, sins that we had committed, and we wrote them on a piece of paper, we folded them in half, and then we nailed them to that cross, symbolizing the fact that Jesus has taken our sin debt, has taken our guilt, and borne it upon Himself, and we don't have to carry it anymore. You know, when I was growing up, many of you know this, 
my favorite toy, maybe of all time, is the Etch-a-Sketch. You know what the Etch-a-Sketch is? How many of you remember the Etch-a-Sketch? I think they're making a comeback, are they not? Yeah. There's no new thing under the sun. It just keeps rolling around, man. The Etch-a-Sketch was great. And I, I'd see the commercial on TV and these people drawing these elaborate things, right? Oh, sunsets, beach, waves crashing, the skyline of New York City. And I thought, wow, that's cool. All I could ever draw was steps. <laughs> you know, up, over, up, over. Uh, up and down, though. I could go up to the middle and then down the other side. But the thing that I loved the most about the Etch-A-Sketch was when you messed up, what'd you have to do? Just shake it, man, and it all goes away. It's all erased. That's kind of like Jesus. Not to be irreverent or disrespectful, but he gives us an Etch-A-Sketch life. He takes those mistakes, those sins, that burden, that guilt, and he just washes it, man. He makes it clean. He takes the dirt that is on us and he puts it upon himself. Just like he's doing in this story with the disciples. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now. In other words, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, I love Peter, man. He's so bold. <laughs> this is Jesus, right? You're never washing my feet, man. <laughs> Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now, Peter resists Jesus' attempt at washing him. Why does he do this? Let me give you two reasons that I think Peter possibly could have done this. And I think that they're the same two reasons that we resist the cleansing that Jesus offers us in our life. The first thing is this. I think that we sometimes resist, and I think maybe this is Peter, we resist out of pride. Now, he may be playing it off like he's trying to be super spiritual and, oh, you know, you're not washing my feet. But I think there's a little pride there. In fact, if we did that, if I lined you guys up and said, okay, we're doing a foot washing, here we go. Some of you would have a real issue with that. Would you not? You're not washing my feet, man. I'm not taking my shoes off. Why? Because that's a very humbling thing, isn't it? I think it's more humbling for the person being washed than it is for the person that's washing. And I think Peter has a real issue, a real pride issue here. He doesn't want to admit that he needs this cleansing. And I think sometimes we don't want to admit it either, that we're dirty. That's a humbling thing. To admit that you have a need. That you need a Savior. That you've committed sin. That's a humbling thing. And sometimes we're very prideful and we don't want to do that. We say, well, you know, I'm not that dirty. Or I'm not as dirty as so-and-so. <laughs> Neither one of which are the issue. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may be cleaner than I am. But if we've committed that one sin, it's that one thing that makes us dirty. 
and keeps us from having access to that perfect place called heaven. That's one reason I think Peter may have resisted pride. But the other is the opposite extreme, and it's these feelings of unworthiness. Maybe it's not private, but maybe it's, oh, I am, I am too dirty. I mean, Jesus, look at my feet. They're filthy. I, I, I'm not worthy for you to take my dirt upon you. And so there's these feelings of unworthiness in our life, and I think that's where some of us live. Because of the things that we've done in our past, because of the sin that we committed, we feel unworthy of the cleansing that Jesus offers to us. But what we have to understand is that there's nothing that you could have ever committed, nothing, listen to me, nothing that you could have ever done that Jesus is not willing to make clean. None of us are worthy. And yet he offers it to us by by grace and mercy. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you're resisting. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if I want that cleansing. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's feelings of unworth. But whatever it is, Jesus offers it to us. In fact, he says to Peter, he says this, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. This cleansing that Jesus offers to us through what he did on Calvary's cross and through his resurrection is absolutely necessary for us to gain entrance into that place called heaven. He says, without it, without my cleansing, you have no part with me. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Simon Peter changes his tune here. Says unto him, Lord, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus says unto him, He that is washed needeth not save that I wash his feet, but is clean every wood. In other words, Jesus is saying, Look, I don't need to wash your hands and head. Just your feet. Verse 11. For he knew knew who should betray him. Therefore he saith, You're not all clean. He's talking about Judas there, obviously. But now now Peter changes his tune and he says, Listen. Don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and wash my head. Here's the thing. Mankind, we're always trying to add stuff to what Jesus did. Jesus says, I'm just going to wash your feet. Peter's like, no, no, no. How about hands and head and feet? Why does he do that? Same two reasons he resisted. Maybe it's pride. He thinks, well, I, you know, I know a better way. I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but wouldn't it make more sense if we just took a bath? So he wants to add to what Jesus has said he's going to do. Or maybe it's the the feelings of unworthiness in his life where he's saying, you know, I I don't know if cleansing my feet's enough. I I need to do more. I've got to make up some ground because I'm really dirty. And so he feels like that Jesus' cleansing isn't enough. That his life needs to be about doing all these things. And mankind is always doing this to to the gift that Jesus offers. We always want to add to it. We always want to add to Jesus' perfect work. We, We add through religion and ritual. We say, yeah, Jesus died, but we've got to do these religious obligation things in order to gain God's favor. We add through subtraction. 
Does that make sense? There's an algebra problem in there somewhere. What I mean by that is this. We think, well, I, you know, I'm not going to curse and uh, can't smoke or chew or date girls who do. I mean, all these things. We've got we to st- stop doing all these things because then, because I'm a better person, I'm a more moral person, then I'm more acceptable to God. And Jesus is saying, no, I just need to wash your feet. We add all these good works to Jesus' perfect work. Things that we do. In addition to things, the thing that He did. And we think that that is somehow going to give us more favor with God. We even, we even add our heritage. How many times have I heard people say, well, you know, my great-grandmother on my wife's side, twice removed, was a Christian. And so, I, I'm good. <laughs> What? As if that has anything to do with you. Your grandmother being a Christian or your parents going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. It just doesn't. It's a personal, individualized decision that each one of us has to make. But he wants to add to it. Notice what Titus says in Titus 3.5. He says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration. Don't miss that. Wow, that's kind of cool. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, it's not by works of righteousness that you and I have done. Because when it comes right down to it, if we're really honest, the things that I do, that I attempt to do to gain God's favor, are tainted. They are. There's, there's, there's always... Because motive is the issue. Action is not the issue. It's the heart behind the action that matters. And if I'm being real honest, usually there's some taint in there. Some selfish motive that's pushing me to do that. And so it's not by works of righteousness that I have done, but by His mercy He saved me. Verse 12. So after He had washed their feet and had taken His garments and was set down again, He said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? Did you get that? He finishes washing them. He finishes taking the dirt that's upon them and placing it upon themselves. But then He gets up again And he takes off that dirty towel. He lays it aside. And I assume, it doesn't say this, but I assume he put his garment back on and then he has a seat again. Jesus Christ came for the purpose of bearing the sinfulness of mankind. And he took that sinfulness and he took it to the grave. But here's the thing. He did not stay dead. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And the fact that he rises up after washing their feet, puts his garment back on, and then has a seat at the dinner table, I think is representative of the fact that Jesus laid aside this filthy flesh, rose again to his Father, and is now seated at the right hand of God Almighty. In Revelation, 
It says this in Revelation 1.18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Because of Jesus' resurrection, you and I can have life. It's through that resurrection that you and I are granted eternal life. We so often take that for granted. What an amazing thing. He came for the purpose of burying our sins, taking the dirt that was upon us and carrying it on himself. He took it to the grave, but he conquered the grave. Paul writes, grave, where is your sting? Because of what he did, you and I have eternal life. We have access to that. Now, here's the thing that really amazes me. Why in the world would Jesus do that? I mean, really. Again, he didn't have to. There was no obligation on his part to do that. Why in the world would he do that? I think the answer to that question is back up in a verse that we read earlier in John 13, in verse 1. It says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, here it is, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Why would Jesus do this? Because he loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly ever imagine. You matter to him. Maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't experience a lot of love. Maybe you're at a point in time in your life right now in your relationships where you don't feel love coming your way. I'm sorry about that, but I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. You matter to him. He created you. He knows you. And he still wants to have a relationship with you. He knows everything about you. And yet he longs to have this relationship with you. It's his desire. It's what he wants. But it's not enough this morning for us just to know that. I grew up in church. Every Easter, every Christmas, pretty much every weekend. I, was, I knew the story of Jesus. I knew that he died on a cross. I knew he died for the sins of the world. I knew that he rose from the dead. But knowing that, even understanding that, is not enough. It has to be made personal. It can't be this generic, yeah, I get that, he died for the sin of the world, and he rose from, the, yeah, I get it. No, he died for me. Because of his resurrection, I have eternal life. And so this morning, I don't want you to leave thinking, well, yeah, that's a lot of good information. No, it requires more than simply understanding. It requires belief. Jesus was having a conversation with one of his dear friends, Martha, whose brother, Lazarus, had just died. She's obviously upset. She comes running out to meet Jesus. And he tells her something that I think is pertinent to what we're talking about this morning. He says this in, in John eleven twenty five. 25. 
Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I put the question to you that Jesus put to Martha. Do you believe? He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Anyone who believes in me, they're going to live forevermore. Do you believe that? That's what he's saying to her. He's making it personal. Do you believe this, Martha? That's the question that we have to answer for ourselves this morning. That's the question that I put to you. Do you believe? There's nothing more important in life than that. All eternity banks on the answer to that question. Do you believe? Now, if you said to me, I don't believe that. I don't think he rose from the dead. I think it's all a bunch of humbo jumbo. I can respect that. But if you're here and you, and you know it to be true and you understand it to be true, but you've never believed in it personally, I want to challenge you to take that step of faith, to believe that. If you're here this morning and you want to receive the offer that Jesus gives to us, this offer of eternal life, to have your guilt, the guilt of your past, taken away so that you don't have to carry it around anymore. To know that your present is in the hands of a mighty God a risen Savior that's seated at the right hand of the Father who can intercede and help us in time of need. To know that your future, your eternity is set. He's got us covered. Past, present, and future. If you're here this morning and you'd like to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's no better day to do that. There's no better opportunity than right now on Easter Sunday to make that decision. This morning, before I came to church, I was uh, just very quickly flipping through my Facebook account. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it right. All right, I know, I know. But I noticed that Carrie had a note from a friend of hers, a lady that we don't have much contact with, but it was a thank you note because 18 years ago today, this lady placed her faith and trust in Jesus, received him as Savior, and she says, you know what? Easter is just so awesome to me. And she was thanking Carrie for being there for her during that time. And I got to say to you that there's no better day to enter into that relationship with Jesus than Easter Sunday. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the reason it says that is because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so this morning, again, I want to challenge you with that question. Do you believe? If you want to make that decision this morning, as we bow our heads and we close our eyes, I want to invite you to say a prayer in your heart along with me. So let's do that. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ brings through his death, burial, and resurrection. I want you in your heart to pray 
these words with me. Jesus Christ, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. But if I'm not, I'm asking you to save me today. I'm putting my total trust in you. And I want to follow you. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Help me to understand it more. It's in Jesus' precious name that I ask these things of you. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you already had a relationship with, with Jesus. You did that at some point in time in your, in your past. But maybe you've drifted away from God. You just kind of didn't mean for it to happen, but just over time you've kind of gotten away from him. Or maybe you're here this morning and you just feel the burden of life. Squeezed down, discouraged, disappointed. I don't think it's an accident that you're here this morning. I think God brought you here this morning. And he wants you to know that he loves you and that he wants to help you through whatever struggle and trial you're going through in life. He, wants, he is there for you and he understands exactly what you're experiencing. And so I believe that he would say to you, just give it to me and let me help you through whatever you're going through. The story of the resurrection is not only for those who need a relationship with him, but it's for those who already have it and need to understand the power of God. A power that could raise someone from the dead is a power that lives in you and can help you through whatever life brings your way. There's cause to rejoice in that. 